0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware.
1: Sheriff, you're not cheating on your wife if you eat my lemon square. Your lemon squares taste like ass.
0: And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking peeing your pants. We're talking toxic masculinity. And we're talking a clearing full of animals fucking. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking one horny tentacle monster. Oh, boy. Boy, ah, oh, so many tentacles, and they all look like penises.
1: It is a lot. I'm actually surprised it looks as good as it does because mm-hmm. this looks like such a low budget film. But everyone, we we are discussing Amat Escalante's "The Untamed," mm-hmm. and mm. um. Well, I can honestly say, Joe, I have never heard of this movie until you put this on the schedule.
0: Yeah, well, credit Birth Movies Death, because that's actually where I first heard about this when this film was still doing the festival circuit back in, I want to say, like, 2017 is when it was doing it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I fully read this, you know, capsule review that says, oh, here's this queer film that's also got a tentacle monster in it. And I thought... Well, I'm fucking sold on that shit.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And y'all, because this is a smaller film, it's not very well known. You won't find a ton of reviews for it. So we don't... But nevertheless, we don't normally discuss streaming options on on our episodes because it tends to date them immediately. And as you Mm -hmm. all know, streaming licenses can change on a day-to-day basis, but... If you're listening to this episode when it drops, uh, you can find The Untamed on Shudder and various other places. But if you have Shudder, it is included with that, at least for April of 2022. (laughs) There you go. There you go. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is... How would you describe this movie, Joe?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, for me, I would say, hey, anybody who's seen Possession you now have a spiritual sequel. And for anybody who has not seen Possession, and no, I'm not talking about the Aaron Eckhart Gwyneth Paltrow movie. I'm talking <laughs> about the Polish film from 1982, I want to say. 1982, sure. Yeah. Uh, and Isabel Johnny. Basically, this is a Mexican film about uh, an alien who reveals people's sexual desires, and then it totally fucks them up. But it's really not the alien's fault.
1: Um, well, we don't really know, though. We don't don't know know if
0: this alien has any (laughs) grand designs, or if it's
1: just looking to fuck, or if it even knows it's hurting people. But okay, I don't know if you saw this, but do you want to hear my description of this film? (laughs) I want you to lay it on me. This is like if Closer were sci-fi, but instead Mm. of Julia Roberts cheating on Clive Owen with Jude Law, it's Owen who is cheating on Roberts with Jude Law, who is actually Roberts' gay brother, but then Law makes friends with Natalie Portman, who is only able to come from a tentacled alien monster.
0: That is... Uh, very reliant on people knowing closer, but yes.
1: <laughs> I was
0: like, what can I compare this to? Or is it its own unique beast? It,
1: maybe. I mean, it is a beast, yeah. It is surely something. But, um, but yeah, it is explicitly queer. Anyone coming in expecting a horror show from beginning to end is bound to be a bit disappointed. This is, yeah. in my opinion, a drama first and foremost with a mm-hmm. dollop of... Cosmic sci-fi horror thrown in um, in the in the very first scene and in the last 30 minutes.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where I think if you adjust your expectations accordingly, it's really, really enjoyable. You just can't go in expecting something like Independence Day or Attack the Block. Like, this is not an alien movie. You're right, it's a very personal relationship-driven film, and the relationships just happen to be affected. In a very significant way because of the uh, the thing living in the cottage in the woods. For sure. And I, I hate even saying this as a horror fan,
1: but I do find the first hour of this movie to be much more compelling and interesting uh, until the alien gets in. More compelling or less compelling? More compelling. Like, I like the first hour
0: more than I like the last 30 minutes.
1: Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Interesting, interesting. interesting.
1: But that is kind of where we get into more ambiguous narrative territory, which... For me, that's always Mm -hmm. something that takes a few more watches to absorb, because on a first watch, I'm like, no, 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 I want to
0: get this right now and now, and that's it. Fair enough, fair enough, yeah. Folks, we should also acknowledge that this is the first Mexican film we've ever covered on the podcast, Mm -hmm. and I think only the second film that we have covered that hails from below North America. Wait, no, 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 no. We've done Good Manners, that's Brazil, but yes, otherwise, you're right. That's literally what I said. I said it's the second, it's the only other one that we've done. (laughs)
1: I didn't hear second. You never listen. I do listen. (laughs) Okay. Well, here. Why don't we go into this movie? Because I don't have a ton of uh, production here, but I think Mm -hmm. we do have a lot of things to unpack in the film. Because, uh, again, it's one of those things, and maybe you disagree, Joe, where I feel like a lot happens, but not a lot happens in this movie.
0: A hundred percent.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. If you haven't seen it, you'll get it when we talk about it. For sure. So I pulled a lot of this from two interviews which uh, which Escalante was doing during the festival circuit. So we've got an interview with Eric Ortiz-Garcia for Screen Anarchy from February 2018, uh, which is called uh, The Untamed Interview, Amat Escalante on his best film yet. And then we've got another one with Linda Merrick from Hey You Guys in August 2017 called Mexican Director Amat Escalante on, inov- on innovative thriller The Untamed. So... After winning the Best Director prize at Cannes for the drug cartel movie Ellie, um, that's H-E-L-I, in May of 2013, uh, writer-director Amat Escalante made The Untamed, uh, which had its world premiere at the Venice Film Festival just a few months later, in September 2016. It was here that Escalante won the prestigious Silver Lion for Best Direction. Uh, In Mexico, it was part of the Morelia International Film Festival and the Morbido Film Festival. It got a few theatrical releases in European countries uh, in early early 2017... I'm like, oh, sorry, in 2017 and kind of early 2018. Mm-hmm. And a tiny, tiny theatrical release in the US on July 21st, 2017.
0: That was one theater with an eventual expansion to eight. Wow, wow. I mean, this film is definitely art house, but... It's not like it's inaccessible. Like, this is a very easy to get into film.
1: So I agree. And it was funny because when I posted about uh, watching this on my Twitter, someone from Mexico tweeted, tweet replied to me and was like, oh, yeah, I went to go see this in theaters when it came out in Mexico. And half the theater walked out about 45 minutes in.
0: (laughs) Hmm. I'm interested to clock that at the plot.
1: (laughs) Well, so I did. And I was like, no, I'm again. Have, like, while I'm watching, I'm like, okay, well, I'm guessing we're going to get some weird, freaky tentacle sex, which
0: mm-hmm. we, we do, do. <laughs> but not
1: really right then and there. It takes a bit to get there outside of that opening scene.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought perhaps that it would happen earlier because there are some very graphic depictions of sexuality. Like, mm-hmm. this is maybe one of the most sexually explicit films that we've actually covered on the podcast, right. which, you know, well, I fucking love because let's get out of the sexually repressed United States. mm mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, really, that's the only other thing that I would have thought would have riled up some feathers. I
1: agree as well. And everyone, if you haven't seen it, it is the gay sex scene where you do see a penis head. Um, So,
0: bravo. I mean, that the alien sex one is probably, I think, the most graphic. But, yeah, we are seeing dicks. We are <laughs> seeing boobs. We are seeing vag. So, it's like, here's your gamut.
1: How funny is it or how like, weird or bad is it that it's baked into me that I assume that normal audiences would balk more at an anal sex scene between two men than a tentacle alien sex scene between an alien and a woman? I mean, I yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We, <laughs> we'll so, get there in both cases. <laughs> yeah, so this film does eventually get a Blu-ray release in November 2017 in the States, and it finally hit streaming services in August of 2020, four years after its festival premiere. Now, when it comes to coming up with the concept for this movie. So, to give you an idea of Escalante's filmmaking headspace, his influences are Stanley Kubrick, Mm -hmm. Roman Polanski, David Cronenberg, Luis Buñuel, and Lars von Trier. Oh, I can see it all. Yes, but he has listed Andre Jelowski's and I hope I didn't butcher that. Apologies if I did. Possession, Joe, as his <clears> main <throat> influence
0: on this film. Yeah, you can definitely see it. And folks, Possession is probably my most anticipated film to cover on this podcast. I think I've referenced it a couple of times. The sad fact is, is that that film is also very difficult to find, except for on very, very expensive Blu-rays. I know. And the draft test actually showed it for
1: a territory tuesday uh, a couple years ago like right before the pandemic and i didn't get to go and i was so Mm. mad.
0: (laughs) i mean honestly this film is so comparable to it like when i saw that he was directly referencing that like escalante was referencing possession in this film it was like oh click yep Mm -hmm. Now, okay,
1: I've read somewhere that someone was like, oh yeah, he even dedicates the film to possession. Is there a title card that
0: says that somewhere? Did you catch that? I think it's in the end credits, but I didn't personally see it either.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, I I didn't either. And I was like, well, where the fuck is this thing? But When Escalante was finishing the editing process of Ellie, uh, he was attracted to the story of a woman who must deal with her sentimental and social situation, which that's, okay, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. pretty like... Generic, but yes, yes let's yeah. let's start with that. <laughs> the first image that came to his mind was the cover of a local newspaper, and I am going to drop some F well A F slur here, so forgive me. But just okay, hands up. in this newspaper there was the photograph of a drowned man in the river, and the big headline "Aogan Ahotito," which translates in English to "Fag drown." Oh God! But it wasn't until he looked inside the newspaper that he saw that he was not only a gay man, but that he also worked as a hospital nurse, mm-hmm. uh, helping out all the patients. But, because apparently the newspaper was only interested in his homosexuality, he ended up being denigrated by the newspaper, offended, and essentially killed just because of his sexual
0: preference. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Now, because the newspaper was more interested in his sexual orientation, which says a lot about the society that Escalante lived in, and again, Mexican culture, not the most queer-friendly of spaces. um, There we go. Yep. But it was that aspect that inspired him to tell this story. Uh, important to note that there was no science fiction or creature elements at that moment when developing the script. Oh really I know right like how it makes sense and I think as we go through the plot we might be able to figure out like okay like where would mm-hmm. this have gone if there wasn't a creature in the movie <laughs> right yeah Um. but once he got two drafts written with co-writer Gibran Portella, he stopped getting motivated by that particular story meaning like the gay bashing story because and he quotes it is such a shallow thing to be prejudiced against homosexuals I was stuck and bored by this premise
0: <laughs> I mean I I love it
1: and also okay. I I am of two minds because on a level I'm like I get it, right? Like why do we just want to see another one of these mm-hmm. stories? Like why do we want to see another story of queer trauma, queer right. violence and things like that? But at the same time, when we get into okay, cool, so we're going to spoiler alert kill off this character. <laughs> right. And move into the alien stuff, I actually feel like that leaves some of this really interesting queer drama undercooked a little bit.
0: Yeah, you know what, I can't disagree with that, because watching it for the first time, I was actually really excited by the queer storyline in this film. Mm -hmm. And then basically when they fish Fabian's body out of the farmer's ditch there, I thought, oh, okay, well, I I guess we're done with this then. Hmm. Yes. Sad face.
1: And again, when you read his process, it's like, well, I was bored with this story, so I wanted to go another direction. It makes sense. It just means, unfortunately, it is at the expense of this queer character. Right. Anyway, in terms of production, The Untamed is the first co-production between Mexico and Denmark. So, Escalante brought on Peter Hjorth, a Danish visual effects supervisor. This man... Well, he probably doesn't sound familiar to you now, Joe. But uh, <laughs> he has been working with Lars von Trier since Dancer in the Dark. Huh. Okay. Um, he's apparently very obsessive and careful with the effects. Um, and for Escalante, it was very important that the effects didn't feel out of place. Because, and the good news for you, Joe, Escalante hates CGI. He rejects <laughs> anything that looks even moderately digital. And while we can't quibble with the alien tentacle monster itself... Similarly, the film cinematographer Manuel Alberto Claro also shot Lars von Trier's Melancholia, The House That Jack Built, and both Nymphomaniac films.
0: Uh, I will say the cinematography in this film is
1: fucking gorgeous. It's really good. And we have a lot of, like, long shots, slow zooms, slow zooms into uh, genitalia. Uh- <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, But, yeah, no, I mean, that that's really it. I don't really have a lot of release in box office because it just wasn't – I mean, it made, like, you know, a couple of $10,000 <laughs> in its right. theatrical run. But this is ultimately – um, I don't know if I would go so far as to call it art house. I do agree with you that it is a lot more accessible than I would have anticipated given the plot. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this is a slow urban with some really bizarre aspects to it that I imagine would be challenging to a lot of viewers.
0: Yeah, particularly if you think of the art house crowd as traditionally being driven by drama, they might go into this and say, okay, I'm intrigued by all of the relationship stuff, but then there's a creature that I have to contend with. And I think for horror purists, they're going to come into this saying, well, where the fuck is the creature?
1: Yep, exactly that. Which I actually didn't find myself doing that terrain this as i said i found the human drama much more much more involving right so it was only when the creature was introduced again where i was like can we get more of this please <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i i thought it was mostly well balanced if only because the creature is used so sparingly that when it does show up i'm like oh interesting and then we're cutting back to relationship stuff so i can definitely understand why you felt like the last act teeters over that line because it is very much like creature Let's let's get into what's going on at this fucking cottage in the woods. Yes. Um, and
1: before I pass it over to you, Joe, I should mention that the uh, Spanish title for this film is La Región Salvaje, which translates to the wild region, which mm-hmm. um, could be the area they are in. It uh-huh. could be their... Genitals. It mm-hmm. could be their
0: lustful desires. Uh, it's up to you. Yeah, it's a title with many meanings, and I think it was probably chosen for that very reason. Very much so. Okay, so here's the deal I'm going to suggest we make. I'm going to give each of these names a try, and then you're going <laughs> to correct me, and we'll see where we come out.
1: Here, I promise this. I will correct you once, and if you keep fucking up, I will just leave it be.
0: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> because I'm probably not going to say uncle. The
1: whole time. <laughs> Angel. So Angel. It's, Oh my gosh. The A in, in Spanish, the G is almost always going to be a huh sound. Um, uh, okay. But the, ac- but the accent is over the E. So it's instead of Angel, it's Angel. Angel. Okay. And same with um, Veronica, the accent's on the O. So it's Veronica instead Verconica. of Veronica. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mostly just tried to do them as French sounding because that's kind of how it ended up coming out for me. But uh, we'll see. So for Fabian, would you normally say like fabian uh i i literally put an h into my notes so that i would say fabian (laughs) so you're putting the accent on the first a fabian but it's Mm -hmm. fabian because the accent's on the second a i can't it's okay it's It's okay it sounds like i'm doing an antonio banderas impersonation (laughs) and i can't
1: (laughs) i already corrected you one so just go ahead and say them and you're good (laughs) okay
0: all right so the film opens like right off the bat folks it's (laughs) hey we're in space watching a giant asteroid slowly float towards earth for like a full minute by the way Mm -hmm. yeah i i thought for a moment that my my streamer had frozen Mm -hmm. i was like is this moving i can't even (laughs) tell then we get the title card and then we open... It, it's basically like, oh, did you want space? Oh, did you want monster? Here, we'll give it to you. And then Ooh. I'm going to actually do what we want to do. So we open with... Veronica, who was played by Simone Bucchio, and she is masturbating in a cottage, and it's only after a second, like your mind needs a second to process it, that you realize she is forcibly shoving a tentacle into her vagina to masturbate.
1: Okay, so question for you, because mm-hmm. I, I could almost see this like, scratching your in media res itch, because it's giving mm-hmm. us this taste of... Right the sci-fi horror that some people are probably going, because the premise of this film includes the mention of this monster. So you Mm -hmm. ideally know going in that you are getting it. Right. But we get this one taste of it, Mm -hmm. and then we don't really get this thing again for another hour. Um, Yeah. Do you think, do you think that was a conscious choice to be like, well, we got to give the fans what they want, so let's just prove to them that we will come back to this later? Or do you think there was ever a time where he, where they thought, no, 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 let's just save it for the end?
0: Well, it's interesting because, I mean, this is me doing it all off the top of my head because I only just learned that the monster wasn't always part of this plot. But I could easily imagine inserting this after the fact when you say, okay, we need to introduce this so that we can pay it off slowly over the course of the film. But I feel like the film could probably work even if you don't have this scene, if you're just looking at it as a relationship drama, because we don't need to know that Veronica is doing something a little bit sketch in the woods. I agree. And I was
1: trying to think about this in my brain, right? Like, do we need this scene here? Is it completely necessary? Or could, could the mm-hmm. film be fine without it? Now, it would recontextualize everything afterwards on a first watch. Right. Because you wouldn't know what she's talking about whenever she's trying to get Fabian there, or whenever she's trying exactly. to get uh, Alejandra there. So on a level, I'm like, I think you do need this scene because I do think Mm -hmm. you need to know what it is. Otherwise, it makes the reveal of this monster
0: too much of like a a reveal. Well, or even a what the fuck is that? Where did this come from?
1: Yes. I also think, too, it would it would preoccupy the viewer's brain too much in the first hour because you're going to be thinking, what is it? What is Mm -hmm. it? What is it?
0: When you should be paying attention to what's happening on screen. Right. And to be honest, this is just Oh, it's such an amuse-bouche, right? Like, we're seeing a tentacle, but we still have no idea what the creature looks like, and we won't see it until that full-on explicit sex scene. So just, that's so weird to say, (laughs) just the slightest glimpse of a tentacle was enough to excite me and leave me satisfied until I got more later on. I felt the exact same. (laughs) Because honestly, like, you go into this movie... Like the cover art is a woman on a mattress who looks terrified at something off screen that's coming towards her. And that's, it's literally a still from the film mm. of Alley sort of recoiling from something. And you're like, okay, well, I know what to expect, but also you have no idea what it looks like. So I love that this is, we're going to give you enough that your imagination can spin out, but then also you need to come back with us. Yep. Okay. So she's having a good time with this tentacle, but also... It, it didn't occur to me until after I had finished the film. When you go back and rewatch this scene, she is forcing it. It doesn't actually want to be pleasuring her. It is trying to pull away. And that's ultimately why she ends up getting injured.
1: That, oh my god. I'm, I'm really glad you told me that, actually. <laughs> because when, when I was like, oh, it, it actually kind of defeats the purpose of what I said earlier. But we don't know the alien's motivations because that bit
0: alone Mm -hmm. is enough to be like uh yeah consent (laughs) yeah basically Uh, and we'll get more from the vega that's the old pair that own this cottage and presumably have been kind of housing this alien we get little snippets about its psychology but it's also not quite quite enough to answer all of our questions
1: well and, and we will talk about the the what this creature represents later as we get into as the film starts devoting more screen time to it mm-hmm. but again going with my theme of like i mean I, i'm viewing this creature as like either a representation of, of addiction or right. or again you're like lustful like like desires and so it's mm-hmm. like you you can enjoy those things just like an addict can enjoy the drugs they're doing on, on a right. you know whatever their basis is But the second you start forcing it, or if you like, just do it when it's not necessary, well, necessary is probably a bad term for this, but Mm -hmm. that's when it starts getting dangerous for your body.
0: That, and I think once you realize how pleasurable it can be, it starts to occupy all of your mental headspace, right? Like, people who encounter this creature come back changed, and it's partially a psychological element, like what it does to them, but also it's how much they want to do it again, and how unimportant everything else is as a result.
1: I don't know if it was on Sex in the City or something else, but there was a, there was an episode where Samantha was a tentacle beast. No, uh, no, because one of her one of her. Uh fuck buddies wants to do ecstasy or molly with her mdma Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and someone told her either this is in the episode or someone told me at school when we were watching it but like i'm sorry i wasn't watching it at school (laughs) (laughs) i'm just on my
0: laptop in class watching samantha fuck this guy on molly
1: yes but it was like don't ever have sex on molly because it, it will ruin sex for you because you will never be able to have sex that good again Right. And, and that's the entire thing I got from here, right? Like, sex is so good that you will literally get rid of all your human connections and any mm-hmm. anything just so you can go live in this ecstasy that, that this creature is providing you.
0: Yeah, and then I love the way it impacts different people in different ways as well. Because, you know, I have questions about this older couple, the Vegas. Oh, yeah how are they sort of able to resist some of this? And there's a, a suggestion that they don't entirely, but also I'm fascinated. Well, because they're, they're, they're not, they're not malevolent,
1: right? Like, but but it's like, well, why are you, why do you keep feeding this thing? Not feeding, mm-hmm. but why do you keep bringing people to this thing? Right. Because they think, oh, he li- it likes it. Like we're trying to make it happy, but mm-hmm. it's also could be dangerous. But like, what, mm-hmm. are, yeah, what are they getting out of this outside of a lot of animals coming to cut fuck in their crater?
0: Uh, well, I think that they are the original victims slash recipients of its gifts. And as a right. result, they, just like Veronica, are obsessed with it, right? But it has long given up pleasuring them because it has gotten bored with them.
1: Right, but then why do they want to, what, what does that matter to them? Why don't they just move on with their lives and stop, like, why do they want to make this thing happy by bringing more people to it? Well, to to use
0: your your metaphor, they're still addicted to it
1: hmm so it's like living vicariously through other people
0: yeah like they they don't want to give it up on the off chance that maybe they can ever get another fix
1: okay i will buy that
0: okay so all this to say um yeah so the this cottage is owned by marta vega who is played by bernarda truba and her husband who doesn't have a name he's just mr vega and he is played by oscar escalante and i think he might be related to the writer director Just by last name, you think? I'm just, I'm totally guessing based on last name. (laughs) Yeah, I I have no idea how popular a last name Escalante is in Mexico. No idea. All right. So I, you know what? Someone's going to let us know. (laughs) (laughs) So these two basically kick Veronica out and then they clean up these bloodied sheets. And I love like this opening scene is such a good example of how the storytelling will progress there's a lot of showing and not a lot of telling here Mm -hmm. so they're cleaning up these bloody sheets and i was like wait what the fuck happened and it's not until we actually see veronica sort of like stumbling out into this misty field to her bike and we see oh she's bleeding from a wound on the side but we have no idea how she got it except to presume she was just fucking that thing so clearly something happened but We don't ever see it, and she never explains. Yes,
1: and, and yeah, if, if you were watching this movie half paying attention, oh, we you're fucked. To because it's not a confusing movie, but exactly mm-hmm. what you were saying the way it is structured and edited like, we get a, a reveal of something that it, 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 we have no idea how this reveal happened, mm-hmm. and then we'll cut to another scene, not necessarily like a jump back in time, it's just another scene that somehow fills in some of the gaps yep. of the questions we have, but not mm-hmm. all of them. So, you it is a it is a pay attention movie
0: (laughs) yeah in a way it's almost a mystery where you're trying to piece things together but then you're also getting swept up in this melodrama of like what is this a pentagon in terms of relationships like everybody's wanting to fuck everybody else because this is also we have not said a very horny movie yeah everyone wants to fuck and no one is getting fucked in this movie
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: or we're fucked in the wrong ways yes yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so that is our opening scene and then we transition to a new character Alejandra who's played by Ruth Ramos and this is such a fucking confronting introduction to a character she wakes up in bed as she is getting fucked by her husband on hell who is played by Jesus Meza and he Like, he basically just wakes up and starts fucking her, and she looks like she's enjoying part of it, but then also not, and then he finishes, and she clearly has not had a happy ending. Not at all.
1: Also, you're going to really hate me, because the accent on Angel is on the first day, so it's Angel. I hate you. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. You're fine. You're fine. Okay. Yeah, this is like kind of your cookie cutter, like, oh, I'm in a sad,
0: boring marriage, and my husband doesn't fuck me good, and... That is what it seems like at the surface. Initially, yeah. I mean, I I was uncertain if it's just, oh, I don't like sex or I don't like sex with you. So I did appreciate that the very next scene is her in the shower masturbating. And it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, no. Okay, so you do like sex. You're just not getting what you need from him. No. And of course, while she's masturbating in the shower, her stupid fucking kids knock on the door. So she's to stop. Oh, boy. These... These kids could be considered cute, but throughout most of the film, they are frustrating little beasts. Yes, they are horrible. Um, this is <laughs> This is
1: a family values thing that I cannot relate to at all. And again, I know I've joked about kids a lot, and I don't particularly care for kids, and I never want kids, but, mm-hmm. um, this is just something where I'm like, "Oh my God, can you th- like can you get rid of them? Can you sell them? Like this is horrible) <laughs>
0: well i mean the the biggest challenge here and you know we can talk about the the themes of uh, misogyny and toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and sexism and that kind of stuff but these opening scenes do a really good job of establishing what the gender relationship is like between husband and wife in this particular household so after she is you know called out of the shower they sit down for breakfast and we see that the youngest son uh yakobo He has a chocolate allergy, and he has gotten into candy. And Angel is basically blaming Ali for all of this. He's like, oh, well, you shouldn't have let the candies out. Okay, well, I don't have time to take the kids to the hospital. You're going to have to do it because I've got to go to work. I can't afford to get fired. And also, like, clean the house and do all the other fucking shit. And you're just like, okay, wow. So the wife is super subservient, and this husband sucks. And these kids are not being disciplined like they're kind of running rampant over this household yeah and and that so that sexism
1: and, and kind of prejudice against women in general that's definitely something that escalante really really wanted to hone in on in this film on the subjects of sexism sexual repression um well discrimination against the queer community which we'll touch on later right and the jealousy that comes with a relationship uh he wanted to tell something bigger and more ambiguous so he was really intent on being ambiguous and I think it's one of those things, too, where it's like, well, yeah, because you as the viewer walk in with a lot of your own baggage. So Mm -hmm. if a film is more ambiguous, then you're able to fill in a lot of that yourself. But he says, you know, sexism, homophobia, physical violence, and hate against women undeniably exist in countries like Mexico. It actually is a part of the culture. But when questioning the violence against women, you think in rejection and hate. Hmm. If you are attracted to or love something, you don't kill it. So he wanted to explore with this movie especially, but also some of his other movies, where does that hate come from and why? Why do people hate so much?
0: I also like that you said he he doesn't want to make this necessarily simplistic because... I think you could misconstrue that you know everything about this couple from these opening scenes like oh I've got them pegged but both of these characters will actually surprise you over the course of the film they are not cookie cutter and this relationship is not simple
1: no unfortunately if you're wanting a really satisfying conclusion um, in traditional narrative terms uh The film is a bit anticlimactic, which is ironic given the subject matter. (laughs) This is true. I
0: guess also the viewers don't get off in the end. No. (laughs) So worth noting, in between the shower and the... Breakfast table scene. We do actually cut back to Veronica. She goes to visit a nurse at the hospital. This is Fabien, who is played by Eden Villa Vincencio, and uh, she tells a lie that her wound was because she was bitten by a rabbit dog. And I got the impression he doesn't fully buy it, but he's also willing to go along with it because they have like a kind of cuteness to them. Like they're both young, they're both attractive. He's obviously gay, she... Question, who knows? But (laughs) they get along well.
1: I mean, it's like a little me-cute, but but a a, a platonic me-cute.
0: Yeah, there's a moment later, like, when she comes back for the follow-up, where I thought, she definitely seems to be flirting with him, but then I wondered if it's maybe she's just assessing his level of sexuality because at that point she really is already planning on giving him to this monster like she's got her eyes set on him
1: right but but again for her this isn't a
0: bad thing she's giving him a gift well it, it's a gift that in his case unfortunately does not pay off well right right, right. but what i'm trying to say is her intent is yes. not
1: cool i'm gonna give you to this thing because she doesn't want to stop going to this thing she wants to keep going to it she's actually right. not happy that someone has to take her spot
0: yeah and that's actually one of the most fascinating things about this movie and specifically the creature is like we get the inference that there is danger associated with this because of what happens to both veronica and fabien but at the same time it also seems like the monster is mostly just there to sex you up
1: yeah but i also have questions about i mean we don't talk about it but like the ethics of a nurse like going out with one of his patients i feel like there's a divide there that isn't ethical (laughs)
0: Yeah, I don't really know. Unless he's maybe just kind of manning the walk-in station or something, so it's like, well, I may never see this person again, so I should be allowed to see them. Like, if he was a doctor, I feel like it'd be different. And that's not a a value judgment about nurses, right? Right. No,
1: no, no. I I get what you're saying. Yeah, I'm guessing I'm going off what my because my husband, you know, does like counseling work, right? and, And then it would be improper. Yes, exactly. But I guess like you know. Well, whatever. It's fine.
0: (laughs) I'm good. I'm moving on. Nurses, let us know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So important to note that Angel, instead of going to the ER to see Fabien to take care of this chocolate allergy with the kids and help his wife and be a good supportive partner, he does go to work. And what we see of him at work is he is wrestling with a male coworker and dicking around on his phone. Mm. And in case you didn't get the whiff of machismo, uh, as they are wrestling, one of the other workers says they fight like schoolgirls.
1: Yeah. Lot of, um, and again, it's not full on homophobia yet, but if you are gay and you've heard, you've witnessed this kind of, uh, play between men or dialogue between men when you were growing mm-hmm. up, You can pick up on it really fucking quick
0: yeah i mean like there's there's a scene almost immediately afterwards where on hell and all of these guys go to the bar and mm-hmm. you know they're joshing around like it could just be they're having a good time they're getting drinks after work. except then one of the guys lures in this female waitress so that he can kiss her without her consent and it erupts into a bar fight and you're like ah these guys are just assholes speaking of assholes mm-hmm. yeah so interestingly enough while they are at this bar We see Fabien come in, and he and Angel seem to lock eyes. And then it's almost a smash cut to the two of these guys going at it. Like, we are talking full-on fucking, and it's a flip-flop. Oh my god, I wrote, it's a flip-flop in my notes! Yeah, initially I was really disappointed because I was like, oh, it's the obviously queer one who is slightly more... I don't know. I wouldn't even want to say effemiate because I didn't know that Fabien was queer the minute I set eyes on him. Right. But we know that he is, and hell is the one who's married with children, and he presents more traditionally masculine. So I was like, wait, well, of course, we've got the typical tops and bottoms as a result, and then they fucking flip-flop. And I was yes! like, yes! Yes! I wrote in my notes, <laughs> flip-flop. But, but, but
1: I agree with you because, yeah, historically, yes, your more mach- macho one is going mm-hmm. to be the top because... I mean, again, if you're if you're on the apps ever, it's like wow, like a lot of really really macho men and men who are out and gay, like out and proud gay, still have issues with bottoming because it's you know too <laughs> gay or whatever, so cross some fucking line they can. But I also think that with Angel, that feeds into his internalized homophobia more because I think in his mind, there's something more shameful about like he's doing both sides of the sex act here. Mm -hmm. And I think that that exacerbates his internalized homophobia.
0: Well, you can't even say, oh, I'm just getting my dick sucked or oh, I'm Mm -hmm. just fucking some dude. It's like, no, I'm liking all of this shit. And again, at first, because all we're seeing is,
1: oh, shit, like, oh, actually, we don't even know he's her brother yet, do we?
0: No, no. Oh,
1: okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll bury that lead. um So at this point in the narrative, we're just like, okay, so Alejandro's husband on Hell is secretly gay, and he's fucking this really hot nurse,
0: right. uh, Fabian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay,
1: that's where we are.
0: Yeah, like it. It's surprising, but then you realize, oh, okay. Well, maybe that starts to explain why he's less invested in the childcare, and you know, we can spin off into a million speculations about a character who hasn't really talked about their sexuality. So again this is kind of masterful work by escalante to use our projections and our expectations against us like mm-hmm. we thought we knew what was happening within this heterosexual couple oh shit maybe not so heterosexual but now we also don't know what is going on with on like is he actually gay and he's just like living this life or is there something more to it and yeah, I mean, I'm I was happy that the film continues to explore and do different things with these relationships. Agree. Okay. So after the fucking, we have a conversation and this is kind of the most we get of on hell up to mm-hmm. this point like where he's actually candid and he talks about why he doesn't eat meat and i don't think it's a hugely important scene like it pays off a little bit later when we meet his mother but it does give us some better insight into like oh you would think this dude would be like all about the meat all about the traditionally masculine things and he talks about how he was basically traumatized when he witnessed his father hit and then gut a deer as a child. So now he doesn't eat meat at all.
1: It's so funny, too, because he's like, yeah, like he cut his intestines, he fried the intestines and I ate them and I threw them up. And I was like, because tripas are a very common dish in Mexico. OK, but yeah, this to me just play. I mean, like, like whether or not he knew he was gay at the age, whenever he had this experience, this was at least definitely factoring into his lack of machismo, and it already is starting that
0: that right. toxic path for himself as he continues to grow older. Mm-hmm. Because men eat meat. Men eat meat, and also, if you think about the age at which he had this negative experience that's also maybe around the time that he was starting to question Mm -hmm. his sexuality like again me projecting but i'm thinking oh okay if he was nearing double digits that's around the time when you start to realize maybe i'm a little bit different or you might even already know yep so uh that's the end of those two for a little bit so we check back in with veronica and she is vomiting and looking generally shitty In my notes originally I had, oh, but she's still doing well enough to check out the hot dude that like lives in her house or that is her boyfriend or her husband. And again, you have no idea who this dude is until way later in the film when you realize, oh, he's just another guy who lives in this kind of commune that she lives at. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she goes back to get checked up at the hospital, and this is where, yeah, she starts to sort of set eyes on Fabian, and it seems a bit more flirty this time.
1: Yes, but but she this, she asks him that question, you know, like oh, like are you into men or women? And he kind mm-hmm. of like he makes a face and hesitates, and yeah. I think that clues her in pretty immediately.
0: Right? Yeah. It's, it's one of those, oh, if you were into women, you would just say women, but because you hesitated, because you weren't really sure if you want to come out to me, that means I know you like guys. And that's something, too, that I think is also very uh, specific to the queer community, right? Because it's
1: like, yes, it's in theory, if you were straight, you should just be like, women, duh. But what we have to go through on a daily basis as queer folk, or at least some of us, because, you know, some of us may live in, like, more accepting social circles, right? is that decision of how much do I trust this person enough to tell them that mm-hmm. I'm queer? Because it could go, it could go well, or it could go very, very, very bad. And when you have to start every new social interaction with something like that, it is very, I don't want to say they were traumatizing, but that kind of is what it is. (laughs) It -hmm. it sticks with you. And it it really impacts your social skills moving forward.
0: Yeah, I found even in accepting societies, like I've always lived in big cities, and I haven't really had to be afraid in the same way that a lot of other queer people have. Mm -hmm. But I found it exhausting every time i meet new people i have to decide okay when slash do i at all have to come out to these people like Mm -hmm. it got to the point where i would resist it and just not talk about my personal life for a lot of the time and then it got to the point where i flipped and i would just like be talking about oh yeah my husband brian my husband brian (laughs) i just got so sick and tired of having to come out all the time
1: you're gonna um you're gonna hate this um we had a new guy at work and i was trying to find i wasn't i wasn't hitting on him or anything but i was trying to find a way to um you were trying to figure it out yes and basically i was telling a story and i said something about some interaction i had and he was like why they why'd they say that and i went because i'm a faggot
0: oh my god trace
1: <laughs> and immediately as, soon as i said it i was like joe's gonna hate me <laughs> terrible <laughs> but but that was the thing they were like, okay like i'm gonna i'm gonna I, i'm a little nervous to say it, but I'm, I'm gonna use this really harsh word and reclaim it and like shock the fuck out of him blah because
0: that's what some people do and out of curiosity did it work did you get your answer
1: oh i mean like uh he was fine with it but like he
0: was definitely um taken aback by my use of a very bad gay slur <laughs> oh my god he's like oh i was uh confronted by this angry gay man at work today it was very odd <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry nick <laughs> nick uh we apologize okay let's uh jump back to the cottage so we've got marta espousing that she doesn't think that veronica should be visiting anymore and this is what she's saying to her husband they're they're having this kind of idyllic date leaning back against this tree and as she says that then she takes her husband's hand and she puts it on her thigh like how about you give me a little diddle as we have this conversation about how we don't want that young woman to come back and fuck our tentacle monster I anymore. Mean, honestly, wouldn't this make a great double feature with X? <laughs> <laughs> not bad. Not bad. But that that's kind of Why I read the Vegas the way I do, because they're clearly still sexually active, but they shouldn't be, you know, engaging in foreplay as they're having what appears to be a relatively serious conversation. So I read it as, oh, they think about this thing, and they start to get a little bit of hot pants action going on. Horny, 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 horny. Uh, And this happens to be when Veronica arrives, and they basically warn her away by saying, you know what, like, you just shouldn't be here. It's not good for you. And then the, she kind of name drops, oh, I've got this new person, Fabian, that I think might be suitable as a kind of replacement. Yep, and uh the beginning of the end for poor, poor Fabian. <laughs> yep, he will never know what has hit him. So we check back in at work as Angel is desperately checking for texts, and it's very obvious at this point now that he is looking for messages from Fabian. And Fabian's not there because he's currently being courted by... Veronica, she's putting the moves on him. So they're trading stories about their respective relationships. And I kind of like, almost as a follow-up to the conversation we just had about like real life sort of like sussing things out about people. They're both talking about the relationships that they can't fully commit to. It's just really funny because for Fabien, he's talking about his closeted lover who is married to his sister, as we will come to find out. And Veronica is like, oh, well, I'm just fucking a tentacle beast
1: but but they can yeah they have comparable relationships which is really funny like mm-hmm. you know fabian's like not dating but yeah fucking this abuse emotionally abusive because again yeah we don't ever really get to see how
0: hell like treats fabian
1: at these social circles
0: no like they don't actually ever interact in front of other people so we only get to see either the kind of relationship drama which makes them look like a couple Or we see Angel's texts, and they're fucking terrible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I I really want to...
1: We we hear how he talks about Fabian in front of Mm Ale, but we don't get to see it actually happen,
0: like, when all three of them are in the same room together. Yeah, and that's actually where we're up to. So we're up to one of these two kids' birthday parties, (laughs) and it's basically just a trash fest where... Angel wants to, initially he's very much like, oh, is Fabien going to be coming? And you can tell it's because he hasn't heard from him, so he wants him to show up at the party for his nephews. And then when he learns that Fabien might be coming with Veronica, that's when we start dropping the Essler to his fucking sister.
1: Yes, he calls him a super faggot, and he calls, he says his gayness might rub off on the kids. And- This, yeah, that, that, oh, God, I really, really, really hate it when I hear people talk, talking about, like, oh, look, your kids might catch the gay or whatever, because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you and I know that's not fucking possible. Nope. But it's so frustrating, because, like, when you hear someone talk about that, well, A, it's it's worse, because this is a gay man. This is a gay mm-hmm. man who is rejecting his identity. And yeah. I don't know if Escalante is gay. Um, I could not figure this out. And so okay. I don't know if he has any personal insight as to where this character was coming from. But nevertheless, um, let's assume he doesn't. He continues in this interview, you know, about the themes of the film, you know, he talks about all those different themes, sexism, sexual repression, discrimination, jealousy. He began to connect everything, and he it made sense for him to do that with the character of Unheld. The husband who shouldn't be married to a woman because he's gay. He wanted to explore him, which is why he includes scenes with the mentality of his mother and father in the back half of the film, which we'll get to in a bit. Right. But that's where his rage comes from. So, again, this is Mm. tying to the idea of, like, you know, why do people have this rage? And we can limit it to just his parents, but also just society in general. Mm Mm-hmm. What Escalante has been addressing throughout all of his movies is where violence comes from, where hate and rage come from, and with The Untamed, he wanted to look at the violence between men and towards women as well. Linking society's views on sexuality, when a man isn't free to be himself and is forced to be with a woman because of his parents or religion, it's not going to end well. Not just for his immediate family, but for society as a whole. Mm -hmm. In a society like Mexico, he didn't want to tackle the subject under a more ambiguous angle. That's why this is the most explicit part of the film especially right. once his parents come in
0: okay okay
1: Certain themes and preoccupations have been in all of Escalante's four movies. Uh, Jealousy, the expectations of society around how you must represent love and life, and the frustration of thinking there's nothing else outside of what society, parents, or church dictate. Ooh, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Breaking with that is always the way in which a person can try to be more complete. Those themes are dynamic and stimulate the characters to be more unique and freer individuals, which is also why some of them will go towards this tentacle monster. Willingly, Because they Mm -hmm. are
0: trying to be more complete, and they find that in this creature. Right, and and stepping outside of the boundaries of what is expected of them and what they are told is normal, right? It's like, oh, I did that, and all of a sudden I found the greatest pleasure I've ever experienced in my life. That's, I mean, that's the thing. Even going back to just, like, tradition,
1: or the way things are, I've never ever well i say never that's a lie i I, I like that's a big statement well tradition is comfortable right like there's no surprise you know what you're getting this is what we do that's how it always is Mm -hmm. i am not opposed to
0: that obviously or else we wouldn't be married
1: yes exactly but but i am opposed to when those traditions start hurting people and or, Mm. or, or a single person for that matter and that that 's always something that i 've never been able to come to terms with with people who use religion or tradition as a way to justify bigotry and i 'm just like, but you are you right. are hating a person you are hurting a person, be it emotionally, be it physically, and I never understand that justification when those things are involved and right i don 't want to, i don 't want to go too much into this because like it 's a friend and blah 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 but I, I I have a very good friend who uh, you know she 's mexican she 's got a Mexican husband Mexican kids and she is very happy in in her marriage and her relationship, but like she's also got a husband who is uh, very strict with some of these traditions, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to ideas around being queer. okay. And I remember one time I asked her, I asked both of them, I was like, you know, because he, he's really nice with me. Like, I've never seen him. He's never been rude to me. And also because, I mean, he knows I'll fucking clap back at him. But <laughs> Yeah, you'll yell a slur at him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but, but you know, I, I remember asking him, I was like, you know, what if you're, and at this point his, his son, uh, uh, four children, was uh, two or three years old, and I was like, what would you do if your son was gay? And his face just turned mm. immediately. Oh, no. And it was like, oh, no, like. And he didn't, like, go into detail, but it was basically, like, that would never happen. And if right. he was, he wouldn't be my son anymore. Like, very much oh, one of those kind shit. of things. But it's a thing where it's, like, you know, I'm 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 watching this person who I do have a modicum of respect for, but I love his wife. Like, his mm-hmm. wife is, like, one of my favorite people in the world. Right. But it's just, like, I'm watching this and I'm, like, A, wife, how can you be okay being in a relationship like this where this would happen? Mm-hmm. Which I've talked to her about, you know, obviously she's, like, no, 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 no. Like, if he did that, like, the, that that would be the last straw for me. But Okay. But it's thing where I'm like, yeah, but even hearing that, like, it, it's, so basically, like, you're out is, well, hopefully my son's not gay, so I don't have to cross that bridge yeah. when I get there,
0: you know? Right. And even, I mean, you're going to be growing up hearing that. So if you are a queer child, you're going to be far more inclined to try to hide it. You might put yourself at risk, and mm-hmm. it just, you know, that's not going to be a great environment to grow up in if you are a queer person. Like, you, you know, uh, it, yes, it's rough, right? I mean, this is the problem with tradition, where tradition doesn't actually include lived reality, right? Like, it's an issue with history, where we have had a lot of these things imposed on us by people at the top right and we we often make these very generalized jokes like oh let's blame everything on white heterosexual middle to upper class men like and it it's a joke because if they have done a lot of harm i feel like we also have to be a little bit mindful that we have a lot of allies and we shouldn't be putting them into those boxes but when we start about things like ideology and history and tradition those fucking things are really hurtful a lot of the time and I think that's why people get so defensive when we start to talk about like woke and feminism and you know all of this stuff because it threatens the established hierarchy the traditions and the history Well, and that's the thing, too. And I won't go into too much more detail because, again, it's not
1: my relationship and whatever. But it's a thing where it's like, you know, I mean, they follow very strict gender roles. You know, he he goes to work and when he comes home, he doesn't do any housework and he doesn't take care of the kids because that's not what the man does. Mm. She is a I mean, she's not a housewife. She actually goes to work because she wants to. But but when she goes home, she's cooking. She's cleaning everything. She's taking care of the kids. She's doing all this stuff. And I mean, I'm like, well, why, 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 don't you change that up? And she's like, that's just how our culture is. Like that that is Mexican culture. And I don't want to again. I'm not like putting words in her mouth. I want to sound like I'm generalizing Mexican culture because like this is just two people that happen right. to be Mexican. But this is what she's telling me. And so I'm just like, okay. So like, again, th- th- I get my defenses up, and I'm like, well, that's just how they are. Like h- h- how our culture is. That's how we- that's how we've always done things. And I'm like, but you don't have to,
0: <laughs> right. But it's hard, right? When you've grown up in it, when that is your experience, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it's a thing where, I mean, in the the years that
1: I've known these people, it's just something where I'm like... A, obviously, I don't, I don't talk about it anymore, because I'm like, well, that you are happy. That's like, it Who yeah. am I to say like what you should and shouldn't be happy with in your life? Right. You know, that, that's the thing. Yeah. But I would be lying if I said I didn't break my heart every now and then.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why it becomes so important that we have people like Escalante making films that gently push back or even forcefully push back on some of these things. I mean, again, he's also just one person. And I'm guessing he probably doesn't speak for an entire culture, an entire group of people. But it's enough that he saw that this was a systemic issue that he doesn't agree with. And he has woven it into this film in a way that I think is subtle enough that people will always understand it, but it's not hitting us over the head like Jesus Christ, you fucking get it.
1: And I think that's why, too. After reading this explanation from Escalante, where I'm kind of like, oh, like I wish you would have done more with this. Then I wish you would have explored it. But then when you have that quote where he's like, well, I was bored with this storyline because, what, <laughs> like, again, this is a, this is not a new story for the queer right. community. So it's like I get it, but I still
0: wanted to see more of this. Yeah, it's tricky too, right? I mean, especially as queer viewers, I get tired with queer trauma. Like, I was very frustrated when Fabian ends up... I thought he was dead initially, and then it's like, oh no, he's just comatose, and he'll never say another line in this film. Even though he be... might as well... The only reason he is kept alive
1: is so that Ollie can pull the plug later.
0: Exactly, yeah. And, and I don't know that I wanted more of that, but I also... We're still at a stage where representation of any kind still feels like a bit of an achievement. It it sounds weird to say as we, you know, like approach 200 episodes of this podcast alone, and that's just queer horror. And yet I still get excited when I find out that there's a queer character in a film because I want to see myself and my community Represented on screen because it validates our existence and it tells people, hey, even in Mexico, there's queer people that exist. Yep. I don't have anything eloquent to add to that but you are right <laughs> <laughs> well let's come back to this party because i do think that it this actually all feeds into what happens next because i made my joke off the top where it's like there's a lot of people who pee their pants in this movie mm-hmm. and that's actually what happens now so we get the introduction of Hell's mother Graciela, who is played by andreas alas but um she arrives to say that the oldest son even has peed his pants and it basically puts a stop to not just this scene but practically the whole party like the conversation is done the party seems to be done and i thought to myself this is weird like children do pee their pants it's not that uncommon and yet this is treated as, oh, a humiliating event has happened. This child has now brought shame onto the family. Yep. Party is now done. And I thought, oh, that's our first sign of what Angel had to deal with because his mother says, this child can't be out in public. Party
1: done. Well, and that's the thing too, right? Because Alejandra, but both when Angel is is... Using slurs about her brother, and then mm-hmm. when this happens to her son, she doesn't really do anything. Yeah,
0: she stands there, but but again, it's like because well, she probably is like, well, no, like that, that, that's just the way it is here, right? Well, or you wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't say anything in public, right? You might try to raise it later. Like I love that there's a scene later on where the truth comes out about on Helen Fabian and. Mm-hmm. Allie tries to do something about it, and instead she literally just sits there as Angel takes a shower. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, oh, I love that, uh, that that scene and that shot. Oh my god, cinematography. Again, shout out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's actually check in with Veronica and Fabien. So they're actually missing the party because she has taken him to the cottage. And the juxtaposition between the city scenes and the country is like night and day all of the city scenes are no greenery it's a lot of concrete it's a lot of you know sort of monochrome it's a lot of grays and tans and it's a lot of narrow streets congestion people and so on and then we get out into this fucking just majestic pasture there's a gorgeous stream there's a woods it only gets scary at night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's like in this gorgeous little cabin in the middle of the woods, mm-hmm. with like uh, in the middle of this pasture, with the chimney going. Like, it looks very quaint. It looks quaint, but the more I thought about it as the film progresses, the more it also feels like a witch's cottage from a fairy tale. Okay, I'm
1: glad you said that because I was thinking that the house from Hocus
0: Pocus. Yeah, the house from Hocus Pocus, Hansel and Gretel, like, this is very much the bad place in the movie. It just happens to look picturesque. Ah, but see, it's the bad
1: place because it is open to sexuality.
0: Well, there is that as well. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, one wonders what would have happened to this story if everybody could have just been honest about what they wanted sexually. Maybe a bunch of people wouldn't have died. Well, they wouldn't have needed the tentacle monster. There is that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we watch as Fabian, it's so... I don't know. Like, I didn't know whether or not to be excited for him, knowing that he was going to go off and have this super exciting, pleasurable experience. Part of me, as a queer viewer, kind of hoped that we would get to see it. I was actually me very disappointed too. that we don't. Yes. No, I, I, I am a little... Mm-hmm. Not bother,
1: but I am disappointed that the only yeah. sex scenes we get with this creature are with female characters.
0: Yeah, like, hope you enjoyed the the gay sex, because she done. We don't get any more of it. It was nice enough that we got it at all. I'm not quibbling with that, but just, I was teased tentacle gay sex, and I did not get it.
1: Well, and here's the thing, right? Because like we, we, as far as we know, Fabian has sex with this thing twice. The first time to mm-hmm. make him, like, want to do it again. Yes. And the second time... When he ends up in the ditch. Yes, which would have looked like a rape anyway, so I don't uh-huh. need to see that. No. Especially if now we're going with the idea that he was um forcibly making this thing have sex with him when it was not ready to do it.
0: Yeah. Oh boy. Okay. Let's put that in a pocket for now. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we watch as Fabian goes off and blah blah blah. Okay. So, presumably the experience is good because the next scene is at a dance club and our four main characters are there. So this is actually the first time Time. We've seen all of them interact, and it is fascinating. So, we've got Fabian and Veronica on the dance floor, and Ally gets kind of like drawn in, and they're having it almost looks like a sexy threesome, except that two of them are siblings. They're just <laughs> having a good time. And the whole time, Angel is just sitting off in the corner, either looking like he's been left out of the party or like he's completely disgusted with what he's seeing. And I could not figure out what was going on with his face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Eye acting. There you go. It's really good. Like, it's subtle because it could go either way. Uh, They, they being uh, Fabienne and Angel, they have this encounter in the bathroom where on is so desperate to keep fabien in his like periphery that he ends up like trying to follow him and he like pees all over the wall as fabien's trying to get away because of course fabien's just had a great sexual experience he doesn't need on anymore oh his eyes are open he mm-hmm.
1: realizes he doesn't deserve this kind of relationship which right? that really that sets off on bad
0: mm-hmm yeah so we get a second bar fight uh under the auspices of protecting Ale's, uh virtue from men that are dancing with her. And this is the the first sort of brick in the wall to come out. He ends up following, like, they get into a fight on the way home but he is very much trailing her and trying to speak with her and she is not engaging and it starts to get a little physical but she pushes him off so yay for you (laughs) the Uh, one time (laughs) it's the baby step towards you know saying no i'm not gonna accept this behavior anymore from you
1: yeah
0: okay so we see her the next day she works in her mother-in-law's candy shop like in a candy factory Mm -hmm. so you're just like oh shit She doesn't even have the means to be self-sufficient because she is reliant on his family for money. Yeah, which which that actually does make more sense to why she doesn't stand up for herself more. I mean, if she's even thought of it before now, but she is thinking about it now because this whole scene exists to have her say, I don't know if I can be with him anymore. Maybe I need to think about taking the kids and going. And I love that this scene is literally followed by an identical scene in which Fabien says, Hey, Angel, I'm not going to stick around for this anymore. This relationship
1: is over. And the whole time he's saying this, I'm like, Good for you. But then I'm also like, Oh my God, get away. Get away. Get away. Right? Get away.
0: <laughs> did you expect violence? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, I did
1: too. But, 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 Angel is quote unquote smarter than that because they're in a public place.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, so he does end up proceeding to get drunk and this is when he pees his pants at home and L.A. has to help him basically just get to bed, but he is so drunk that, I don't know, I almost got the idea that he was projecting his affection for Fabian onto her because he's saying stuff like he doesn't want her to leave and he makes her promise that she won't. Yeah, but, yeah. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Sure. So, hey, did you like Fabien? Because we will never get to see him open his eyes or speak again. Because I will say this is one of the most beautiful shots in the film. So mm-hmm. we, we basically just do like a very gentle 360 degree pan as this ambulance shows up at this farmer's field. And they pull a naked, unconscious man out of the water. And it is Fabien. And he is in a coma um i will confess i actually did for the entirety of this film until it's like oh wait it's not on hell think that on hell did this day <laughs> i yeah i mean i feel like at this point in the film you're not supposed to be sure I yeah, I guess I just didn't. Yeah, I
1: just didn't think I, I didn't think about it. um And so when it actually happened, I was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was the creature.
0: <laughs> I mean, the, the telling sign is that after they kind of collect his body and put it onto a stretcher, we do cut to this kind of ominous shot, a slow push in of the entryway into the forest. And it right, you know, it just looks like, oh, shit, maybe don't go into the forest. Well, he got a little too greedy with his desires. Um, we just don't know that yet. Yeah. So we go back home and we see that Angel is refusing to eat his mother's meat. I do like that she says it's an allergy and it's all in his head. And I was like, oh, lady, that is not what vegetarianism is. yeah it's just another symptom of uh, this mother will not accept anything that ventures away from tradition right well she's also the one that tells the kid like you know oh god punish fabian for for the Mm. way he is (laughs) god yeah mother of the year over here is what we're saying god grandmother of the year too so later on ali asks hell about his meeting with fabien at the hospital because it turns out they were seen by a coworker and he just kind of weakly protests that he doesn't talk to people like him and then they just turn off the light and go to bed it's uh it's great you know what i'm not going to talk about this yeah it, it's interesting to note that we will also never have another sex scene between these two like we were literally introduced to them having sex not great sex but we will never see these two being physical again, except in a physically abusive way.
1: Yeah. I was about to say there's not really much sex left in this movie, but I am that is
0: you incorrect. You are <laughs> fully wrong, sir. Fully wrong. Okay. So the next day, uh, Veronica and Ale go to Fabien's house, and this is where Ale sees. Well, she finds his phone and we see these incredibly angry and horny texts from Hell and she basically has a meltdown. <laughs> I did not think this was going to happen in this no. film and I am...
1: I was thrilled. I was like, yes! <laughs> she knows the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- after like the gut punch that was, oh shit, Fabian's in a coma. I was like, right. oh yes, okay, we're going here. Okay, this is this drama or, or melodrama, as you said earlier. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, okay, g- give it to me. I want this all the time.
0: Yeah, and and it's right after this that she goes home and you think that maybe she's going to confront him and then she just instead sits on the toilet and watches him take a shower and you're like, girl, please, say mm-hmm. something. Get this out in the open But I do love that it's incremental steps, right? She's slowly working up to what we're going to get in this climax. Mm -hmm. In a way, this is kind of a good for her revenge story, isn't it?
1: It really is. But I mean, this is followed immediately by the doctor slash Fabian's boss Mm -hmm. telling
0: her, we all really liked Fabian here. And I I noted the past (laughs) tense. (laughs) The past tense, yeah, because he is on life support. And it's possible that he will never wake up.
1: And he basically like he says, Yeah, unfortunately the tubes are keeping him alive, so he pulled them out. Um he will die. Hint, hint, <laughs> bitch. Clear the bed.
0: Chekhov's murder your your brother. Yes. <laughs> God. So sad. I, I mean this is an interesting piece, right? So we saw that Ale couldn't confront her husband. But she does take the phone and those messages to the police because he is then arrested at work. And we see her giving testimony. And this was shocking. So Angel is literally in his cell, (laughs) leaning out against the bars as she speaks to the judge like, Yep, found these texts. Yep, my husband beat my brother. Mm hmm. Please lock him away.
1: Okay, I'm glad that you were surprised by that, too, because at first I was like, well, is this how this happens sometimes? I'm like, I just didn't know. But yeah, because it it holds off on showing you that he is right across the room Mm -hmm. behind bars staring daggers
0: at her. Not even a room. Like, they could reach out and touch each other. They are so close. This is not a courtroom. This is barely a room. This is like... It's like they set up the desk in front of the cell and said, Okay, <laughs> let's have a let's have a little judicial system right here. <laughs> imagine when they're setting it up, they're like, This looks like a good place for this desk <laughs> <laughs> Like someone could just reach out and grab keys and let themselves out of that cell. Oh well. So uh at home Even comforts his mother, mistaking her tears for fright from the zombie film that they're watching. She's obviously quite upset with what has happened. And this was like the kind of moment where I realized, oh, these kids aren't that bad. They just don't know any better. They're also being like raised by a horrible grandmother and an asshole father. Well, there is that as well. Yeah. so Thankfully the harnica shows up with some booze and we get a little, a little taste of ally's backstory so we learn that she and fabian kind of escaped from tijuana and um i did think it was interesting the the shot composition of this so the two women are sitting in the kitchen sharing this booze telling about their stories and on the wall very prominently behind them is jesus on the cross yeah love that guy okay yeah so it's it's very subtle like we don't really talk about religion very much in this movie it's not like we go to church we don't see priests or anything like that but it's very much oh the specter of religion is looming over this and when you think about tradition and what these characters are and are not trying to escape from we can see it's just it's a part of their lives
1: well, yeah, I think most audience, especially Mexican audience, will be able to pick that up because yeah, that mm-hmm. just—I mean, I think I think Mexico is predominantly Catholic, but uh, but yeah,
0: just yeah, just very religious people. Yeah, so I took note of this because we get it in a bit of a close-up shot. We see Belonica caress Ale's hand and her face, and. It feels comforting, but it also feels sexual in a way. And she's technically reassuring L.A. that she hasn't done anything wrong. But you're also like, oh, Fabienne's out of the picture. Shit, she's moved on to the sister.
1: I mean, at this point, too, anyone that fucks this creature is queer. Because even though it's not like... Mm -hmm. like, like,
0: Add add a letter to the LGBTQIA... (laughs) (laughs) Is it,
1: <laughs> Tentacle fucker. Yeah, we can't put
0: in another T, so it's got to be like. <laughs> oh, I guess we already have an A. E. Extraterrestrial yes, enthusiast. <laughs> I love it.
1: The E is for extraterrestrial. <laughs> well. <laughs> god oh man the people that hate that acronym uh, meaning all those straights are gonna get so mad about that uh call glad please we're gonna add it
0: <laughs> yeah everybody please make sure you add it when you use your hashtags and let's make it happen so so basically at this point Ale, uh you know like ooh, we go for a picnic in the out in the wilds and this <laughs> is when alley goes off to the cottage and so we get these interesting sets of scenes where the vegas brew tea for her, to relax her to drug her basically the man inspects her teeth because we learn that he's a scientist but his wife describes him as a brute and i was like the men the machismo <laughs> just okay There are Mm -hmm. no redeemable male characters except Fabian, and he's in a fucking coma, apparently. Yeah. So then we get this image of clouds, and the male scientist clarifies that her experience will be hallucinatory, but that she shouldn't be scared or panicked. And then we're going to follow a dog, Trace. Mm Mm-hmm,
1: we sure are.
0: (laughs) So the the camera follows this dog into a... Clearing in the woods and we see that it is filled with animals who are just really going at it I would like to know which of these combos was your favorite Ooh, okay. Uh, It's either the snakes. Of course, yeah.
1: Or, oh God, there was something. And I was like, I've never seen those animals fuck before. I mean, I Mm -hmm. haven't seen a lot of animals fuck to be honest, but. (laughs) Sure. Mm -hmm. Richard Attenborough says differently. Well, it was one where it was like they were up in like a 45 degree angle, but their backs arched, but it was like a, Mm -hmm. maybe it was like a like a badger or something <laughs> I, don't
0: okay. I don't know what, what about yours what is your favorite uh, I mean I always appreciate getting to see a turtle fuck because you're like this could be the slowest makeout session ever when they come they're like ah! 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 <laughs> I'll be here all day <laughs> It is quite a sight to behold. I was not expecting it, even though, like, as soon as we follow the dog into this clearing, you can start to get a sense of what's happening. Because, I mean, the man is literally saying it. He's saying, It hit
1: the earth and left a small crater. The animals began arriving. They are more in touch with their immediate needs, with their instincts. What's there in the cabin is our primitive side. In its most basic and purest state materialized it's never going to disappear it's only going to perfect
0: itself oh that is really interesting isn't it like Mm -hmm. i love this idea that it's going to perfect itself it's this idea i mean especially when you think about sex right like Mm -hmm. there's this idea that as you accumulate more partners and experiences your technique will improve or become more refined right like you learn what you like you learn to give other people what they like you know I'm fascinated by this idea that maybe that's also contributing to the creatures ennui with people like why it loses interest in them because it right. doesn't have anything further to learn from them
1: okay so so let's go in for my last little bit to from from this because again this is when we really into the third act and like the horror really starts to come out mm-hmm. so as I said earlier when Escalante wrote the script with Portella um, after about the second draft there was no element of science fiction there was just a straightforward social melodrama and he ran out of inspiration so right. Something was missing for him, and he wasn't finding what he wanted inside the motivations of the characters. Okay. Once he got the idea of having a creature in there, it tied everything together, more so mm-hmm. than what he expected when he started putting stuff on the hell character. Okay. It reflected something that he couldn't see about the inside of the characters, their sexual desires and attractions. And to have that represented outside by something that they were repulsed by and attracted to made a lot of sense. It was more interesting to represent the answers to the questions the film posits with the fantastical and science fiction element, rather than giving some sort of thesis or a concrete and uh, not very ambiguous idea. Huh. Okay. This fantastical element opens the movie to a direct metaphor of the character's external and internal conflicts and to a real representation of what the characters reject and long for. What they reject and, at the same time, desire, is there. And now it's physical, and it can hurt them, or it can heal them. He felt that made sense, and the best way to express it was through the creature. Horror has that capacity, and in the best horror and fantasy films, there's always a very direct connection to an internal reality. Hmm. And we see that a lot, right? Like, I feel like I always see interviews where it's like, oh yeah, like, I want to do this, and like horror is the one genre that really lets you do that, because right. you're not... You're not limited to reality. You know, you can go weird. You can go really metaphorical in a way that something like a straightforward uh, prestige drama mm-hmm. might not be able to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm thinking even in understated examples, like uh, whenever we talk about this kind of stuff, I often end up thinking about Relic, the mm-hmm. Natalie Erica James film yep. that we covered on Patreon. Uh, one of my favorite films from the year it came out. But, you know, I remember a lot of people saying, oh, well, this is just a movie about like... Like dementia or Alzheimer's and its impact and you're like yeah but the horrific elements basically oh god I was about to say elevate it just makes it so much more visually compelling and I think easier for audiences to understand right like it makes what could be perceived as a dry or a sad narrative into something where you're like oh my god there's this bombastic climax But also, I'm telling the same story. It's just with visuals that make it easier to get to a bigger audience. And I really feel like that's some of the power of horror, right? Like, we wouldn't have been attracted to this movie if it had just been a relationship drama. We might have still really enjoyed it, but the creature is what brought us here. And really, the creature is just the thing that is exposing what's really happening to these characters. Exactly.
1: Yes, 100%.
0: So interestingly enough, I'm going to bring in one other source that I found. This is a translated article, so I'm going to apologize to Nicholas Ruiz for his piece, The Wild Country, A Masterpiece That Transcends Science Fiction for CodyGoSpaghetti.com so that was an absolutely hilarious site name so i'm gonna apologize to nicholas because uh the original story is written in spanish or the review is written in spanish and then i google translate it you know using my toggle whatever so he says about the creature the alien gives something that is not of this world complete satisfaction total love that erases all hatred the absence of torment peace And humans cannot deal with that, cannot know that complete desire, and then return to the games of friction and frustrated flirtation. Men and women faced with the creature give themselves completely to it, like an addiction, until they are completely annihilated. Because in order to live, we need to wander dissatisfied. Peace, the absence of problems, complete satisfaction, by essence, does not belong to us.
1: Oh, my God. Okay. So, A, I love that you said that. I actually had one more quote that I was going to say just to close it out. But honestly, it complements and is tied to yours so well. Okay. So, okay. So, mine... Okay. This is going to sound weird because I don't like this critic, but this is Peter Bradshaw with The Guardian in his review for this movie. Hmm. I think he's kind of an asshole and kind of sexist. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But But... He goes, sex and love are the assumed ultimate pleasure and fulfillment, the promise of which is always receding like a mirage. What if there was something nasty in the woodshed that could deliver pure heroin sex pleasure? Right. Something that could be kept for the purpose like livestock and, by virtue of its non-humanness, never needed to be surrounded with the pieties of romance or marriage or any conscientious interrelation. It's the history and the tradition again. Yes. Or what if this creature represents something else? not just the pure animal pleasure we all secretly yearn for, but also the dysfunctional, painful, unsatisfactory side of sex that we experience anyway. Such a creature would be very dangerous. So this is one in a very literal and figurative sense. Its huge python tentacles slither into every orifice, creating an unforgettable addiction that makes anything else the characters happen to be doing with their lives seem bland and unreal. Yep. This film is a very sly, subversive, and disturbing black tragic comedy about a universal secret addiction. And... It is that part about you know the addiction that makes everything else in their lives seem bland and unreal that mm-hmm. connected with me the most yes. because again that's go- that's going back to that conversation about ecstasy sex, right like yep. if you have sex with ecstasy, normal sex will never be satisfactory for you again. Don't cross that threshold. <laughs>
0: Well, you don't even need to have the drug part of it in there. You know, I think of the number of times that I've been counseling friends and loved ones who are trying to get over a breakup and they obsess about, you know, the physical contact, right? Like, oh, I miss the smell. Oh, I miss the touch. Oh, I miss the sex and that kind of stuff. And it's like we become obsessed with that thing like it's all we can think about even when you start a new relationship right like the sex high where yep. you cannot get enough of this person you just want to be all over them all the time and you're just like holy shit my body is it's rebelling against my brain it's driving me crazy it's yep. driving me wild with pheromones <laughs> and emotions and this kind of stuff and it's like yeah like sex will Just completely dominate a conversation if you let it. So I'm trying to think of like, imagine the best possible sexual encounter you could ever have, and then try to go on with your mundane life. Yep. No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and so yeah, that that I can relate.
1: Not relate because I've never had an experience. My God, can you imagine? But,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but,
1: But 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 again, like again, just knowing that I can relate to it on on a certain level, and it's very sad. Yeah.
0: Not comedic. I don't agree with that part, but the rest. Uh, yeah, of it is. I don't get. I, I don't get where
1: tragic comedy from. I mm-hmm. would just call it tragedy.
0: Yeah, yeah, but. tragedy. Yes, absolutely. But whatever, Mister Bradshaw.
1: You go off on your reviews.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we're we're not quite at the reveal of what sex with this creature looks like, but we do get to see that cover art where we see them lay allay on the mattress. She panics as she sees something, and then they leave her. We start to see the phallic tentacles creep back. So yeah. this is the first true glimpse of the creature that we have had since that opening shot. Just sitting in the corner, crawling towards her. Yep, yep. Uh, definitely not horrifying. I like that it is scary and repulsive and also intriguing and enticing all at once like i so wanted the reveal and when we just cut back to veronica in in ali's apartment as she's waiting for her to come home i was just like are you fucking kidding me with this show me that creature (laughs) well and here's the thing too because with this conversation we
1: get veronica lies to her does she yes because what happens is Alejandra asks her, goes, did this creature hurt my brother? Uh, And Veronica says no. no. It only... Now, granted, maybe she doesn't know. But she also says it only has the power to provide pleasure and has never hurt anybody, which we know is a lie because that's what happened in the first scene.
0: Oh, my God. It never even occurred to me. I... I mean, maybe it's just that she's still sex wild, right? Like, she can't process the idea that it did actually hurt her. Or maybe it's a conflation between sex and pain, pleasure and pain. But yeah, you're right. That's where it gets weird. I mean, so on top of like Marta and Senior Vega, like, like drugging her?
1: Mm -hmm. Like, no, 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 no. She's already entering into this willingly. Why are you drugging her? So- That immediately makes this a bit non-consensual to me because she does not have all the
0: information and she is under the influence. So I don't disagree with what you're Mm. saying because the drugging is absolutely not right and she didn't consent to it. I read that as they do that for the first encounter so that the panic Mm. isn't so bad that it does hurt you. Because that's how I read what happens at the end. Because I think Angel dies because he was not willing he was scared so the creature kills him oh uh, you know what
1: i will i will subscribe to that theory to get rid of my issue <laughs>
0: i mean no it's still an issue because they still drug her without her giving her permission
1: yeah that just makes sense
0: yeah so it's also interesting because it was weird to me that Ale knows that this is what happened to fabienne and this whether she knew she was lying before she definitely realizes that Angel had nothing to do with his injury But also, she's still willing to go back. So we know, okay, wow, she has been affected by this creature where her brother was injured by it. And yet she's still saying, well, I'm going to go back for round two. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, because this thing is so good at fucking Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you can't resist it. I mean, it, it is like the best drug you've ever done. And you just can't stop
0: yeah so speaking of can't stop and totally fucked up as a result we follow veronica as she goes to a party Mm -hmm. and she passes out at this party in the middle of a couch full of people and we see her pee her pants from a pov shot from under her skirt and okay it is fascinating because i i couldn't even tell is it he was she having vaginal juice yeah like because the colors don't look right. I It almost looked like she was peeing blue liquid. So I thought that she was just so horny that oh. she was just getting wet.
1: Oh. Interesting. Because she immediately gets up and leaves. And, and, she, and she, then she goes to have a hookup, which doesn't do anything for her. Mm. And that's when she goes back to the creature, which then kills her because she forces it to fuck her. Wow. Huh. Okay. So that's what i thought i was looking at but but i didn't even think about it being p but now that you say that i'm like oh yeah i guess that could be what that is but um (laughs) i wrote um she makes a pool of fuck juice on the couch (laughs) wow
0: yeah it was interesting because i know we've raised this film a couple of times it's not exactly one of our favorites but there is so much to talk about it when we get there but this scene reminded me a lot of Thelma. Mm, I could see that there
1: is I feel like I say this a lot when, but like for these types of when films are shot this way mm-hmm. it's very
0: cold like it's a very yes. cold and distant film and I do get that from Thelma
1: and also a lot of Von Trier. Yeah
0: yeah yeah because we're, we're talking about people who are dissatisfied and it ends up getting reflected in things like the geography but even the color aesthetic of the film a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And yeah yeah, as you said, like even
1: like this, the scenes
0: in Mexico, I'm sorry, Me- it's all in Mexico, <laughs> in the scenes in the
1: city, like, yeah, it's just very bland and drab. Like none of this, like the, the most excited and like lively
0: I felt during those scenes was mm-hmm. at the club. Yeah, for sure. And even that it's like, I love the way that the non diegetic music fades into diegetic music in that scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for that shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, needless to say, something is going on with Veronica. I, if nothing else, she's jealous and I think a little bit dazed. Like she's, um, I mean, if you want to keep the addiction metaphor going, she's going into withdrawal, I think. Yes,
1: yes. Oh, oh, yes. That's good. That's good
0: so she tries to go back up to the cottage and the old couple tell her that things have actually gotten a lot better since Alley has arrived and that she kind of <laughs> needs to like take a time out and go figure her shit out so she gets on her bike and she ends up leaving so then we cut back to Alley, and this is when she discovers that her mother-in-law Graciela is actually holding her sons hostage like mm-hmm. it's not quite so dramatic but basically uh, grandma has locked the boys inside of her house and is refusing to give them up because she thinks that ally isn't able to take care of them by herself so ally just fucking breaks this window and takes the kids back
1: i, I know we're so I, I know we're like going towards the end so just really quick though um mm-hmm. we, we're also forgetting the fact that she did bring her kids to
0: this cabin once so she can go fuck this creature which that uh-huh. to me i was like uh-huh. that's addict behavior right there <laughs> oh i know as, as soon as i you know the first time when she left them with Veronica monica and mm-hmm. like we're just having a picnic out and she's like Okay, bye, kids. I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then I was kind of okay with it, but you know, because childcare issues can be difficult. But then the next time it's like, she fully just leave them so that she can go and fuck the monster. And you're like, no, ma'am, you can't just leave your young children to play in the open without any kind of supervision so you can go fuck. Did you want? skip the stuff about how grandma was telling the kids that Fabian was punished by god or i mean so it's the second time that's happened because so he says here that the, the
1: grandma told him that and then he asked earlier in the film or maybe the other kid asked about that too i don't really have a lot more to say about it other than that it's just really shitty and like you know this yeah. is something that us especially gay men or effeminate gay men deal with a lot mm-hmm. um not to well i'm sorry the queer community in general does it is a lot but like i'm speaking for myself here right it's just it's really shitty and i hate it i don't like it, it's not triggering to me but like it's very upsetting
0: yeah it's one of those things where it's more pervasive than i would expect to hear and when you see it come up in a film it's actually very confronting because you think oh okay um uh cool 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 cool,
1: cool. what i'm more interested in just like touching on is the reaction that his that anhel's parents have when they bail him out of jail
0: yeah yeah we'll get there so we are up finally to the fucking the fucking and trace my notes literally just say whoa because uh (laughs) You know, you you have in mind what you think this is going to look like or you think, okay, well, we'll see something, right? Like we'll see a tentacle wrap around an arm or like caress a face or something. Oof. You don't expect to see a woman lifted up into the air yeah. and just be penetrated in every orifice all at once.
1: Every, I mean, it's in her pussy. It's in her mouth. It is... I, and y'all, if you have not seen this movie and you're really curious, um, this is on the dot at the 74 minute mark of this movie. Like 74, 00, zero, zero, zero.
0: <laughs> Yeah, this is basically a Little Kim song, Come to Life. This is Ugh. my pussy in my crack. Yeah, it's. Th- this is your visual
1: climax of the film. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it is worth it.
0: It is. Yeah, yeah. And I. <laughs> I know, <okay>. right? <laughs> Well, it's just, I also think that the creature design is really fascinating. All of these tentacles have kind of mouths to them, and that's Mm -hmm. where the Cronenberg reference really comes into play for me. But it doesn't feel like it's, oh, it's just Bunko David Cronenberg. Like, the design of the creature is really, it's novel and unnerving, but you could also understand why people would get sucked into it, because... It, it's basically just finger probes and so many of them that they can caress you and touch you everywhere at once. Yeah, I mean, this is like... I imagine this is what
1: people who do, who, who really get off to ASMR feel like when they listen to whispers. Oh my God,
0: what a weird thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> what an uncomfortable thing to say. <laughs> I will say uh, I was uncomfortable. Like, I was okay with it. I was okay with it. And then when I saw the probe go... Into her mouth. Yeah, I got real uncomfortable. Real, quick. I don't want that in my mouth. I'm sorry. Like, no. I mean, no, let, no, 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 like, no. let's face it. If you watch pornography, you're used to watching members go into people's mouths. Unless yeah. you're watching, uh, you know, lady on lady action, in which case, well, actually, you might still see it. I just mean it's a
1: tentacle and it's slimy. I mean, I, I, I get that. Listeners, you may be like, well, Trace, like, do you, you have a problem with the mouth, but you don't have a problem with this thing going in her pussy? And I'm like, no, not really, because it's not my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> i just think it's it's more it it looks oh god I'm so, i can't taste anything with my below the waist
0: orifices <laughs> that is very true yeah i think for me it was just it it's so deep and i know again hilarious haha but it it looks yeah, it, it's just really uncomfortable. I don't know yeah. why I had such a problem with it. I'm very curious to know if other people found this erotic or Joe, if they were Joe. turned on by it. Wait, did, did you say I don't know why
1: you have a problem with it because this is a tentacle alien monster <laughs> fucking a woman.
0: I mean, let let's be honest. I have seen some hentai, so I have seen <laughs> this before. I don't know why I'm so bothered. Really, you don't? <laughs> <laughs> No, i don't know um, you're kink shaming now well that's the thing is i don't want to yuck somebody else's yum <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a movie we can get over it if, if your friend if your real life friend actually has this happen to them then you can
0: have that conversation with yourself oh, my god yes the funniest <laughs> thing happened to me on the way home from the bar i totally fucked this tentacle monster it went everywhere <laughs> This sex has everything. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot. Let's move on. Okay. No, I was trying to do a Stefan joke, but okay. Oh. <laughs> so, ironically enough, she gets this deep, deep loving. It's great sex. And then she says, I'm going to go to the hospital and kill my brother.
1: Yep. It's, I, I, I can only believe it's because she's like, well, he'll never experience something like this again, so mm-hmm. he might as well
0: be dead. Yeah, kinda. We do hear earlier from either Mr. Vega or Veronica that it it sort of creates a bit of a daze where, like, you just don't care as deeply about things. So it's possible that this is just allowing her to get over her grief and say, okay, if he's never going to wake up, then there's no point to this anymore. And I could imagine that there are people who are going to take some offense to that because... I mean, this is euthanasia for sure. And there's no guarantee that he wouldn't have woken up. Like she is definitely making a decision that's against his consent.
1: Yeah, I think I didn't bring this earlier because I don't know how much if I really have a lot of um, evidence for this. But Mm -hmm. with the treatment of the Fabian character, I know obviously by hearing and reading Escalante's quotes that he is empathetic towards the queer community. But my thing is this. He is killed by this creature on his second Attempt on right. his second journey, fucking this thing, and mm-hmm. knowing now that it probably is because yes, he was forcing it based on that moment in the beginning that we've already discussed. I don't like that. That says about Fabian that he was so forceful and to to this creature on his second time mm-hmm. that he caused it to create. It. Because to me, that says something more about Fabian, and maybe even the implications towards the queer community about how we are a horny bunch. Which, admittedly. We are, right? (laughs) But we're not a rapey bunch, and so I mean, it's it might be a stretch to even say this. I'm not really bothered by it, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, "Well, we're robbed of an entire like—I want to say 50 minutes, maybe, maybe it's 40—of the end of this movie with this character because of this decision." Mm -hmm. And I just—I don't know, like I maybe it's just I rather would have followed Fabian than Alejandra, but that's not his movie, so I'm frustrated with the fact that Escalante switched. Um, okay. I didn't want to say audience proxy because no one's really the proxy in this movie
0: no, but i I understand what you're saying because I definitely did think that we were going to be getting almost dual narratives between the brother yeah. and the sister at least initially or or even like, oh, it's a foursome where we're gonna be following how these spores sort of circle each other's orbits, and then, yeah, we basically kick one to the curb and then sort of kick the other one to the curb, but by that point, it's the end of the movie. I guess the only thing, and I don't know if this will help you to feel more comfortable with it, is that we don't actually know what happens to Fabian during his Mm -hmm. second encounter. So it could have been that he suddenly got scared and the creature killed him or something. Uh, I think there's a level of ambiguity that is interesting because we can speculate and and decide what we want to believe. But it is also so open-ended that part of me is like, well, but what? What happened to Fabian? Like, I cared about this character, and I would have liked to know a little bit more. I agree. So, I don't know, listeners. What are your thoughts on this? I again, not looking to fight
1: or to have like a super serious discussion. I'm just curious about like what y'all are reading from this.
0: Yeah, I mean, given the context that we know from other people's encounters with the creature, what is your interpretation of what happened? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't matter. Okay, so uh, we are now up to on Hell's return to the story. He has been gotten. he has been gotten (laughs) he's been gotten (laughs) he's been gotten by his parents his parents came to collect him from jail they paid his way out and so they it sounds like they both cashed in favors and literally paid his way out so ooh, that couldn't have been cheap Mm -mm. but much like escalante's origin for part of this film his release is still front page tabloid fodder and yeah it's not pretty like it's really rude no and this is the thing so like his his parents b-
1: bail him out of jail which at this point i'm like why would they even do cuz they they are disowning him in this scene
0: mm, or well sort of well they tell him to move away yes. and he has no home here anymore Yeah, but then they do allow him to stay because he can't go home. We do see that the house is filled with guns and hunting trophies. And I was just like, holy shit, can you imagine trying to sleep in that room? No, could you imagine growing up in that life? No, but one thing that I did appreciate is that we get a glimpse that Graciela, the mother, is the really hard one. Because when the father comes in, he slaps on hell, but then on hell ends up apologizing and hugging him and crying and the dad lets him, you know, he's he's not acquiescing to it. He's not reassuring him, but he also doesn't push him away.
1: Yeah, and he, he's not saying, don't be a sissy, like right. only girls cry type mm-hmm. thing. Um, no, I, I agree. And again, you could argue that this is just kind of ho-hum by the numbers. Like, yeah, obviously, of course. But I do appreciate it, even if I, you're right, as you said earlier, I I now, I get why Mm -hmm. he is like the way he is honestly whenever i see a home overpressed bully i'm always like this is kind of like what i imagine their home life is like yeah so in that way it's a little conventional but at the same time i accept this without letting on hell off the hook
0: yeah, uh this was one of those things where I wondered too if it would resonate a little bit more for us if we had the cultural connection to it. Like I wondered if we had grown up in Mexico, if we would be like, holy shit, I can't believe this movie is doing this because it's maybe it's less familiar. Like we have yeah. seen these stories fairly frequently, particularly in the last couple of years in North America, but this felt new to me because it was coming from a Mexican context. You know what? That's actually a really good point. And you may be onto
1: something there. I I couldn't speak to it because I I don't have a large knowledge of Mexican specific cinema, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I mean, like all of my experiences with Mexican cinema has been primarily with those cultural stereotypes, like the machismo and we don't talk about things and so on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. so. Okay. Anyway, so we get a, a brief little moment with uh, Veronica. It's kind of her last big hail mary in this film. We see that she has moved away. She has met a boar hunter at a diner for dinner, and they're not having a great date, but they still fuck. And I gotta say, wow! No, uh, oh, she's bored. She's oh, bored. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> it- <laughs> This is not
1: doing anything for... Her. He no. even comments on it. He's like, we both want to be here, right? I am like, oh, God, i I'm so, so
0: appreciated that, though, because compared to how Angel handled his sex scene with his fucking wife at the beginning of this movie, where he just like, I'm going to fuck because I want to fuck and I want to get off and I don't care about your pleasure. I appreciated that we got this guy who says, hey, you're not into this. Do we want to keep going? And then she ends up asking him to stay even though he's basically like uh we just had terrible sex what are you talking about but it's because she's afraid that without someone to stop her she will go back
1: yes yes
0: and again that that broke
1: my heart and unfortunately that's exactly what (laughs) happens
0: yeah (laughs) the pull is too strong so
1: first we got to have a reunion
0: Indeed. Yeah. So Angel comes to Ale. Well, it's I wrote in my notes, he comes home. And then I'm like, not really, because she's living at the commune now because she gave up that house because clearly she could not afford to pay for it. Mm -hmm. So this is an interesting scene, because I thought, how is he gonna approach this? And initially, he says that he wants the truth, right? So he knows that she didn't tell the full truth, and it ended up landing him in jail. But then he says that he's open to forgiveness But he wants it from her. Like, he doesn't want her to forgive him. He's like, no, I forgive you for what you did. And it's like, oh, God, dude, you still don't understand that you are shit.
1: (laughs) He's back to being a huge piece of shit. Like, he is the worst. And he still wants to make their life work, their marriage work, even though he is gay.
0: Yeah, this was one of those like, oh, your mom got you, or you were reminded of what your quote unquote tradition and responsibilities are meant to be. Yeah, so he says that they can take the kids and that they can go. She tells him that she's happy for the first time in a very long time, so he beats her and then tries to shoot her. But accidentally shoots his leg. And the way that this is done is so I I had to rewind it because I was like, wait, 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 what just happened? (laughs) Because he's got like this fucking little gun, which he was contemplating. dying by suicide whip back at his parents' house. But it's like I I kind of love it because it this is gonna sound stupid, and I apologize to people if they find it offensive, but it looks like a woman's gun, right? Like it's it's the tiny little pistol you would put in a clutch or something. So I was like, oh my God, he's got an emasculated gun and then he fucking shoots himself in the leg. Yep. And that will... Uh, well, it's not quite the end for on hell, but it will be. <laughs> I mean, it sort of seals the deal because he can't fight back because he's bleeding out. So Allie just packs him up in the truck and we get another gorgeous shot of her driving in a bird's eye perspective over top of the forest. She drags him to the cottage. We do see that Veronica's uh, motorcycle, like she has to go by it, but she doesn't really seem to notice And then she has difficulty getting into the cottage and it's because, ah shit, Veronica is dead. And I'm curious because it looked to me like she had a head wound that was equivalent to a gunshot, but I'm I'm guessing we're meant to assume that the creature kills her.
1: Well, so here's the
0: thing, maybe, but he, okay. So what
1: happened? Yeah. So she drags Angel into the room and the creature lows itself onto him. And so he is presumably dead. Yes. No, he's while, definitely dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So sorry. <laughs> sorry he, he is dead. Um, while she is dragging his body to the crater with the old man, mm-hmm. Marta is missing. And she asks where, he, where she is. And he says, oh, Marta had to go to the hospital for some bruised ribs and a black eye.
0: Yeah. So did you assume that Veronica did that, or do you think that she was trying to get in there with the creature or, like, both?
1: Yes. (laughs) Like... Uh, or, or, or did he do it to Marta because he was like don't go in there like you know what's gonna happen Like, I mm. I don't know I don't know what happens and this ending is so ambiguous about that, that I, and I was frustrated at first now I'm kind of like well whatever like I, I don't know I don't know what I want to subscribe to but like right it is what it is like we,
0: we were unfortunately only seeing what Alejandra can see at this point yeah and folks like if, if you have not watched the movie and you're just listening to us and you're maybe confused this is literally the end of the movie so so, yeah well okay there's one final scene where Ali goes to pick up even from school and he's like hey you've got blood on your shirt credits yeah which is fine I that. don't even need that but whatever Um, I think it's but, important to see that she like goes back for the kids and so on but.
1: yes no but but it's technically outside of that but the, the last line of the film yeah her and, and the guy dump Veronica and, and on his bodies into the crater mm-hmm. where the animals are fucking and um, she just looks at it and goes wow the bodies are really piling up cut to black
0: yeah so um. <laughs> i i think the most obvious reading of this is that veronica went in there In a last ditch effort, she tried to fuck the creature. Marta went in to try to stop her or before she could even get in there, Marta tried to stop her and Veronica was like, bam, bam, like beat you up. And then yeah, the creature killed her. And this is what we get. But I was intrigued by this idea that the bodies are really piling up. Because that suggests that there are more than two bodies down in that crater. And maybe we could just be referring back to Ale's brother, right? Like, that's a third body. Yeah. But. I kind of want to go back and check when those animals are fucking. Are they fucking see. over top of bodies?
1: It's so weird, right? Because it's, well, technically it's the last line of the movie outside of that fucking kid. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> it's one of those things where it, when it happened, I was like, huh. So that means something. That That, that is supposed to say sign- if you are ending your film on that line, there's significance there. And I don't know what it is, to be honest. I don't know what it is.
0: So I can take a stab at it, if you like. Mm -hmm. I think it comes back to the two quotes that we talked about where it's like, human beings can't function this way. Like we can't just live in a blissed out state of sexual euphoria. We're not programmed that way. Like we need the unhappiness. How would you ever go back to your mundane life? And I feel like basically, this is a statement of our sexual proclivities now has a body count. Because we gave in to our sexual urges and we tried to live through this sexed-up creature, we now have killed multiple people.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I, I will accept that. Honestly, it's because I, I just watched this yesterday. It's something that I kind of... It has stuck with me all day. Like mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this movie all day. Me too. And I think it's something I just want to stew with more. So I, I don't... Yeah. I, I can subscribe to that. I don't really have an answer. But actually, and listeners, we'll end it here, but I'll invite you. Like, yeah, what are your reads of this? What? How do your interpretations differ from us? And at the same time, mm-hmm. I want to know. This is a fun question. Okay. Uh, let's say it's not a tentacle monster. Just, you, you have the chance to experience oh, no. the best sexual pleasure of your life via whatever is not creepy. But at the on the off chance, sorry, on the downside... Regular sex will never be good to you again. So you can keep going back to this thing that gives you the ultimate pleasure, let's say, a finite number of times. I don't know what that number is, but a finite number of times. Do you do it? Or do you just say, fuck that, <laughs> I want normal sex to feel feel fine to me for the rest of my life? No, you
0: say, don't fuck that, because <laughs> I have to have regular sex for the rest of my life. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, see, I, I think we've actually given out this prompt before, but I thought you were going to say if you could fuck any unconventional creature, what creature would it be? No. <laughs> but you know what? Fine. Answer
1: that one too. It's a two part question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, that is the untamed, everybody. Uh, Joe, any final thoughts on this? Uh, You know what, I'm happy that this ended up on our radar. I'm glad that we watched it, even though it's a little bit more science fiction, it's a little bit Mm -hmm. more drama than we normally cover. But this to me feels like one of those under the radar gems that I really enjoy having a podcast that we can shine a light on because this wasn't on my radar. I think it probably wasn't on too many other people's radars, even though Mm -hmm. yes, it is on Shudder. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm happy to have watched it. And yeah, I'm probably going to sit and stew thinking about it for a while longer.
1: I agree. Um, yeah, this this never heard of this movie. Didn't know what it was. Very glad I watched it. I'm interested to see the responses we get before this episode drops from people that are watching it for the first time mm. and being like, what the fuck does this show make me watch?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it when we do that to people
1: uh but uh but yeah everyone so let's wrap this up and uh before we announce what we're covering next week we'll get some housekeeping out of the way uh if you want to get in touch with us you can reach us on twitter and instagram at horror queers join our facebook horror queers group to hang out with other listeners find us on letterboxd keep track of all the films we've covered go to our youtube channel to look at our interviews with uh queer horror filmmakers and monthly hangouts where we talk about random horror topics with our peers If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We are at the end of April, so go subscribe to get all of our episodes on uh, Adrian Lin's return to the erotic thriller with Deep Water, Midnight, in which a deaf woman is stalked by a serial killer, Robert Eggers' The Northman, and a special 10th anniversary minisode on Joseph Kahn's detention. Oh! And our audio commentary for the month is on Anaconda, just in time for its 25th anniversary. Talking about snake fucking. What? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, actually, that's the sequel. Hunt for the blood orchid eh, snake
0: Orchid.
1: <laughs> but joe um uh, well we're not speeding up next week so what are we discussing next week
0: <laughs> yeah we're actually in a way gonna get more cerebral and i think it's good that we're dropping this episode at the beginning of mental health awareness month so mm. yeah we're gonna kick off may by looking at the first film we've ever covered on the podcast someone correct us if we're wrong by a non-binary trans filmmaker, Trace, and we're back to screen life found footage, we're going to be checking out a very new film called We're All Going to the World's Fair. Yeah, this is very new, y'all. It just
1: came out, well, a couple weeks ago, really. So um, if you've never heard of it, that is why. But I promise y'all are in for um, a heady treat. Yeah, prepare to get catfish. That's all we're going to say. Yes, but uh, until next week, we can cross out
0: The Untamed. Indeed, and cross out horror queers.